Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Good morning and happy Easter to all of you. My name is Jake. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And if you're visiting with us this morning, I want to extend a special welcome to you on behalf of our church family. Thank you so much for joining us. Happy Easter. Now, you might expect that as a pastor, my favorite Sunday is Easter Sunday. And in some ways, that's true. Um, If I can just be honest, though, in, in a couple other ways, it's not. And what I mean is that Easter Sunday, particularly the preparation for the message, like right now, is probably the more stressful messages of the year to prepare, in which you might go, Jake, that seems silly, right? Like, it's, it's Easter. Don't you just get up there? You only work one day a week. Come on. Like, don't you just get up there, talk about Jesus, right? Don't let it go too long and get us out in time for brunch. I mean, that's your job this morning, isn't it? And in some ways, that's true. But the, the reason why preparation for, for Easter Sunday is difficult isn't because it's not obvious what to talk about, right? Like, we're not going to be in lamentations this morning, okay? It's pretty obvious what we're going to talk about. But the, the reason why it's more difficult is because I'm keenly aware, probably over-aware, of the diversity represented within the Easter crowd. And here's what I mean. Is that for some of you, Easter really is a celebration of Jesus Christ. Really is a celebration of the risen Savior, eternal Son of God, who took on human flesh, willingly took on the sin of the world, absorbed the wrath of God, died a brutal death, was buried, and rose again three days later. Like for some of you, that's, that's why you're here. It's to celebrate this risen Savior and that this risen Savior has captured your heart, has captured your affections and changed your life. And so you're here to celebrate who Jesus is and what he's done. Now, maybe that's like one end of the spectrum, right? But I'm also very aware that for others of you, maybe on the other end of the spectrum where you're here because maybe coming to church on Easter is a family tradition, or maybe you're just like, you're here just to get that person, that like crazy Jesus person off your back, whoever that is in your life, right? Someone in your family, someone that you work with, a neighbor, whoever it is, you're just like, okay, fine, I'll come with you to church on Easter, and maybe you'll get like a free lunch out of it or something. I hope you do. I, you should get the most expensive thing on the menu, all right? As a, for, for wherever you're at this morning, and probably a million places in between, right? But for wherever you're at, my, my goal this morning is actually fairly simple. My goal is that for wherever you're at, whether, whether you're excited about the resurrection, whether you're skeptical of the resurrection, or whether you're indifferent to the resurrection, what I want to do this morning, quite simply, is help you understand a little better why your life is the way that it is and how the message of Easter should impact your life why your life is the way that it is, and how the message of Easter should impact your life. And the portion of scripture that I want to direct our attention to this morning is in John chapter 20. If you have a Bible, you can open to John 20. If, if you don't, uh, it'll be up on the screen, no problem. But a little context for John chapter 20. So before this, 
Just a few days before John 20, Jesus had been betrayed by Judas. He'd been abandoned by his disciples. He was arrested by soldiers. He was mocked, beaten, crucified, and buried. That was Good Friday, just a few days before. And now, fast forward just a handful of days to John chapter 20, verse 19. And here's the scene. When it was evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. So here are Jesus' disciples. Here are these men, these Jewish men who grew up as Jewish boys and what they had heard growing up was that there was a God in heaven who would one day send a rescuer. There was a God in heaven who would one day send a rescuer to make right everything that was wrong, to bring peace to chaos, to bring justice to injustice, to bring hope to despair. They had grown up hearing this. And then one day, on just a normal work day, this Jewish rabbi shows up and calls them to follow him. And then now fast forward a handful of years, and now these disciples of Jesus are locked down. It's not too distant of a memory for us, right? We know what it means to be locked down, to be in quarantine, as it were. And here they are, at night, locked down. Maybe you can imagine the scene. Their friend, their teacher, and in many, many ways, their hope for a better future for all they knew, was dead. Those of you who have lost someone near and dear to you can probably, you don't have to imagine the scene. All you have to do is remember it, that those nights, perhaps it was the night of the visitation or uh, the nights following the funeral where you're there at night in silence, perhaps with some friends or some family, And you're sitting in silence, and what breaks the silence are things like, do you remember when they said this? Or do you remember when they did that? Or do you remember that one time we all did this? I have to imagine that that's what the disciples were doing this evening. Where one says to another, remember when that one time We were in that storm. And man, he said something to those waves and something to that wind. And it stopped. We were all pretty freaked out. Remember that? Or do you remember when we were in that house and it was just packed full and there was no way to get in, but then all of a sudden the roof like started to cave in and this paralyzed guy came through the ceiling. You remember when he healed him? Or do you remember all all those stories he would tell, all those parables? That made no sense, right? And we were all confused, and he'd always have to like, explain them to us. And we always felt dumb. Like, you remember that? I mean, these guys had walked with Jesus for a long time. They'd walked with him for a long time. And the longer they walked with him, the more they began to believe that he was this rescuer that they had heard about all those years growing up. And they'd seen a lot of things. A lot of things they really couldn't explain. And these guys totally got their hopes up. 
And now here they are, three days later, locked down, disappointed and scared, with the doors locked. I mean, it makes sense. The one who, the one who usually calmed the storms, the one who usually brought peace to their fear, was dead. And now their only comfort came from what they could control, a locked door. Their sense of safety, their sense of security that used to be in this supposed Messiah was now in a locked door. You see, what we have here with the disciples, just a few days after the crucifixion, what we have in their moment of darkness is something that's actually true of all of us. And that is that in the absence of a risen Savior, like them, all of us search in the dark. All of us search in the dark for security and hope. Because the, the issue this morning is not whether or not you have a Savior. That's not the issue. You might, you might be here this morning and you're like, I'm not religious. I don't believe in God. Like, how... I don't have a savior. I go, no, the issue is not whether or not you have a savior. The issue is who or what is your savior? Who or what do you look to to bring you the security, to bring you the comfort, to bring you the peace, to bring you the sense of purpose and the sense of meaning, the sense of hope that each and every one of us deep down desire? For some of you, maybe it's your pay scale or, uh, or a... a influence, power. And so maybe for you, you work incessantly hoping for that next promotion or hoping for that promised commission. But then what you get instead isn't a promotion or a commission, but when it's instead a pink slip, your world totally falls apart and you're left in the dark. Or maybe for some of you, your savior, your locked door is your family. Or even maybe, maybe romantic relationships. Where as long as you're wanted, as long as you're approved of by your parents, your family, or just that person, or desired by someone, it's then that you feel safe and secure. But maybe for some of you, instead of being desired, instead of that, you were handed divorce. Or for some of you, instead of having a place to belong or a person to belong to, instead it seems as though everyone has just kind of walked away. And you're left in the dark. Or maybe for you, it isn't a person or a, or a position. Maybe for you, it's a substance. That whatever gives you that, that next high Whatever just makes the pain go away, that's where you find your security. That's where you find your peace. But you also recognize that in doing so, you are often left in the dark. You see, whether it's money or romance or power or attractiveness or influence, or health, or achievement, or just simply inner peace, the list could go on. Whatever it is, the reality is that without a risen Savior, we all search in the dark. We all look to someone or something to bring us hope, security, and safety. 
that sense of meaning we all long for, which is perhaps why some of you are desperate to get what you don't have, or you're anxious to keep what you do have, or you become hopeless when you lost what you once had. Friends, what locked doors are you trusting in this morning to give you hope? What locked doors are you trusting in to give you peace? What locked doors are in your life? What in your life do you think, like, if I just had that one thing, if I just accomplished that one thing, if I just got this together, then everything will be okay? But you know, you know, you don't need me to tell you this. You know that deep down inside, every single thing that you look to, every single locked door requires unending maintenance, That without a risen Savior, the need to perform will never end. The desire for control will never end. Don't you see that without a risen Savior, like the disciples, we are left in the dark? But we see here in John chapter 20 that it was into this very darkness. Look what happened. Same verse, chapter 20, verse 19. It's into this darkness Jesus came stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. You see, what we have with Jesus, meeting the disciples in this room, is that though the disciples were locked down, Jesus couldn't be locked out. Now, I don't know how Jesus got into the room. I don't know how he got in there. Maybe you'll get hung up on that. You engineers especially, you're like, how did he get into that room? And we don't know. I mean, maybe John forgot to reveal to us some secret locksmith skills that Jesus had, like on the side, you know? He's just kind of like breaking into cars and stuff. I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe that. I have no idea. Or maybe he, maybe it was a, a true miracle. He just went through the door. Though he's flesh and bones went through. We don't know how Jesus got in the room, but it doesn't really matter because the point is that for whatever barrier that stands between you and the risen Christ, he can meet you where you're at. that the locked doors in your life are never so thick, are never so ingrained, are never so locked down, that Jesus Christ can't meet you where you're at. You see, here's what's true, is that you are never so messed up that Jesus can't bring you peace. And you are never so put together that you don't need the peace that he brings. I find it really interesting here that this is the first thing Jesus says to him. Because remember, this is the first time he's seeing the disciples since the crucifixion. Ah, the first time he's seeing his disciples since they totally abandoned him. Remember, it wasn't just Peter who denied that they didn't know him, right? Peter did explicitly do that, but all the disciples left Jesus in his greatest moment of need. And so you might expect, you know, for us, when we see a friend who has betrayed us in such a deep way as the disciples did for Jesus, perhaps the first words we would have for, the, for those supposed friends would not be peace, but instead would be, where were you? Or how dare you? Or you're going to pay. But instead of bringing a bill of judgment and telling them to pay up, Jesus brought them peace and forgiveness 
because he had already paid their debt in full. You can never out the grace of God. And then look what happens, verse 20. So he comes in, having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. You see, those who have received the peace of Christ. Some of you this morning, you are Christians and you have received the peace of Christ. My prayer for you this morning is quite simply that you would join the disciples once again, that you would rejoice when you remember the risen Savior who met you in your darkness, that for those of you who have been, maybe you've become accustomed to the story. You've become so accustomed. Maybe you've been around church for so long. You've come to so many Easter's. You've celebrated it time and time again. You've just become accustomed to it. You're kind of numb to the story. My prayer for you, Christian, is that just as the sun, just as the sun in the spring melts away the winter snow, that you would have a fresh vision and a fresh joy and new affections for this Jesus who walked through your doors and brought peace to your angst, who brought calm to your storm, who brought restoration to your brokenness. Christian, some of you live your life as though you don't have a risen Savior. That though you, that though, yeah, there was a time where you believed, but you just, you keep going back. Oh, Jesus is risen. Rejoice. You see, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're a Christian, the way that you continue to have peace in the darkness of life, oh, there are dark times. Coming to Christ does not mean that your life will be rosy, that all your problems will go away. There will be darkness. There will still be chaos and confusion. But what Having the peace of Christ for you means, Christian, is that in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the disappointment, that you can continue to have his peace by continuing to rejoice in the one who took the darkness of your sin upon himself so that his grace could meet you in your darkness. And so my hope for you, Christian, is that this Easter would be a fresh reminder that you can rejoice in the darkness because Jesus met you in the darkness of your sin. But not only does Jesus come to those who are despairing, not only does Jesus come to those who are desperate, but Jesus also comes to those who doubt. Look a few verses ahead at verse 24. But Thomas, called twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. Some of you don't, aren't desperate. Some of you aren't despairing. Some of you are skeptical. Interestingly enough, this is just a bit of a side note, I suppose, that uh, perhaps if you think that the gospel accounts were contrived, maybe that's a barrier that you have with the message of Easter. Just consider this, though, that if someone was going to make up an account of Jesus rising from the dead, wouldn't you think that the way that you would write Jesus appearing to people, that would be a bit more spectacular? I mean, think about it. If I'm writing this story, if you're writing this story, and you're wanting to make it up, what we're going to write is not Jesus appearing in a room, appearing in a garden, on the side of a lake, cooking fish for a few guys. No, what we're going to write is Prince Ali riding into Agrabah on an elephant. 
right? Like with the dancers and music, and it's this big hurrah, you know, like he's risen from the grave. Everyone come and say, like, that's what we would write. But in fact, it's the unspectacular nature of his appearing that is, in fact, one of the reasons why we can actually trust these accounts. And he comes to Thomas. Now, we don't know why Thomas wasn't with the disciples when Jesus first appeared to him, but he wasn't. And Thomas, despite hearing what they said, responded the way that many of us would respond. It just makes sense, right? It's like, hey, I know you guys think you saw something. I know you think something happened, but until I see it, I'm not going to believe it. And perhaps some of you are skeptical like Thomas. That maybe for you, coming to church this morning, oh, it makes all the sense in the world. That for you, coming to church this morning is perhaps very similar to what maybe a lot of us would feel going to a comic book conference. No offense if you like comic books. That's not the point. But the point is, is that some of us, if we would go to a comic book conference, we would probably get a sense where we kind of like see what's going on. We go, hey, listen, I'm happy that you're happy. That's a little weird. Aren't you kind of taking these fairy tales a little too far? Perhaps that's how you feel actually coming to church this morning. And yet, isn't it also true that for the most skeptical among us, isn't it also true that we still love fairy tales. Don't we? Now, why is that? For the most skeptical, for the most rational, for the most empirical among us, we still will get engrossed in fairy tales. Why is that? J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote the Lord of the Rings series, so he pretty much knows what the deal is with fairy tales. He said this. He said, the gospel contains a story of a larger kind which embraces all the essence of fairy stories. Now, what does he mean? What does he mean by that? What he means is that beneath all the epic stories that capture the imagination of of even the most skeptical among us, underneath all of those stories contain the same basic elements. And those elements are this. It's that when all hope seems lost, when when evil is prevailing... When all the walls are caving in and the, and the enemy is forging ahead, we all long for a hero to emerge out of the shadows and save the day. We all long for a happy ending. We all long for a hero to right all that is wrong. And what Tolkien meant was that every time we hear a story like this, the reason that we long for a happy ending, the reason that we desire a hero to save the day is because deep down within us, these stories begin to resonate a string that exists deep down in our soul. That though we know that many of these stories are make-believe, deep down within us, we we actually wish that they were true. See, what we have with the gospel, what we get with Jesus, risen from the dead, is the story to which all these other stories point. That what we get with Jesus, risen from the dead, is that there is actually a beauty who kisses the beast. There is actually a Hercules 
who vanquishes the villain. There actually is a hero. There is Jesus. You see, Jesus met Thomas in his doubts. Jesus met Thomas in his questions. I mean, you look at verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. And Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. You see, Thomas had his prerequisites. He said, unless I see this, I won't believe. And Jesus meets him where he's at. But then Thomas doesn't keep moving the goalposts, but he responds the way each of us must respond if we want to receive the peace of Christ. My Lord and my God. Notice he doesn't say you are Lord and you are God. No, he says my Lord and my God. Have you believed in Jesus Christ? for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you believed in Jesus Christ to receive the peace of God? You see, some people, if you ask them what it means to be a Christian, they'll say, well, it's my church, it's my baptism, it's my upbringing, my family background, my good works. But what we see with Thomas is that until you say, my Lord and my God, you actually don't have the peace of Christ. You actually aren't a Christian. You see, Jesus Christ risen from the dead is the real life fulfillment of how we want all stories to end. And the reality this morning is that because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, this means that we can have a real life peace that we thought only existed in fairy tales. Have you believed in Jesus Christ? Friends, Come out of the shadows. Come out of the darkness. And receive the peace of Christ. And for the Christian this morning, the message is real simple. Rejoice. Rejoice in the one who met you in your darkness. Rejoice in the one who came through your doors. Rejoice in this risen Savior who brought peace to your darkness. Now you might ask, is this really possible? Is this really possible? Does Jesus still do this? Does Jesus still bring peace in the darkness? Well, rather than me say more to try to convince you, I'll let a few other people answer that question for us this morning. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.